welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is James Nestor. He's a journalist and author. He's written articles for many nationally recognized publications, including Scientific American and The New York Times. His best-selling book, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art, explores how the human species has lost its ability to breathe properly and how we can get it back. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. James, welcome to the show. I'm excited to talk to you. And uh, James is an author and journalist. He's an excellent author and journalist. I read his book, Breath. It's called A New Science of a Lost Art. And I have been a surgeon for over 30 years. Um, I've been operating people's spines for a long time. And it turns out most spine surgery should not be done. It turns out that a lot of what we're doing on is we're doing surgery on a fired up nervous system. And the breath work is really, really critical in just calming things down. So the book's extremely entertaining. He goes into the history of breathing, you know, through the centuries even. Um, His book has done extremely well. He's talked all over the world. So I'm honored to have him on my show. So welcome, James. Happy to have you here. Thanks a lot for having me. So, and James, I know we talked a couple of years ago. Um, I don't remember exactly the context of that, but we talked a little bit about chronic pain. And I will... Breathing turns out to be, again, I only found this out about a year ago when I started working with Stephen Porges in the polyvagal theory, that breathing is sort of a big deal stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system, which is anti-inflammatory, which actually is a major factor in solving chronic pain. So it's incredibly relevant. But I'm curious as to your background, how you got into breath work. It's sort of an unusual topic to go in so deeply. And what's fun about this book, Breath, is that he has spent a lot of time researching all sorts of different things. You've traveled around the world talking to people directly. So I'm just curious how you get started into it and how you started diving so deeply into it. I started off because I myself was in pain. I was okay. having a lot of respiratory issues and I was eating all the right food and sleeping eight hours a night and exercising like a maniac, but I kept getting respiratory problems. I would get bronchitis. I would get pneumonia, mild pneumonia year after year. I surf a lot here in San Francisco. And my doctor always told me, he said, uh, this is get used to it. It's called old age. I was given a Z pack, you know, some antibiotics and sent on my way. And I did that for years and I thought it was normal until I talked to another doctor friend who had a little wider view on how the human body works. And she suggested I check out a breathing class. She didn't think I was breathing properly. It was the first time I'd ever heard that respiratory pathologies could be linked, like even things like asthma and COPD could be linked to the way in which we breathe these bad habits. So after I did that, I, I was marking my own progress and I had, I felt a huge amount of improvement. And I started getting interested in what else breathing could do. But this was a years long process to convince myself, a science journalist, that a book about breathing was something worth spending an additional five or six years researching and writing. Well, that's what's fun about the book is that you did do a tremendous amount of research. And what I was surprised about is how many centuries old different breath techniques are. I mean, people figured this out centuries ago. 
And so medicine, as you know, I won't rant too much today, has sort of missed it. And so breathing affects your body's physiology. And physiology, by the way, is the way the body functions. And of course, you have, if you have asthma or bronchitis, that's a functional issue. There's not really a structural problem there. And so your body's chemistry, everything is affected by all sorts of things, including breath. So I'm curious, what was the first um, set of tools that you learned that seemed to help your personal breathing issues? First thing I learned that was that the nose and the mouth, the air taken through these pathways are drastically different. And I had always been told and had always understood that air is air, right? It doesn't matter how you get it. You can take it through the mouth. You can take it through the, through the nose. Who, who cares? And that was my understanding. And, and I remember, you know, being in boxing classes and being in other fitness classes and everyone's breathing through the mouth. And, and this was supposed to be how the body got more oxygen. So I was never told otherwise. I'm sure I was a mouth breather as a kid. I'm, I'm positive about that. I was a mouth breather at night. And how I know that is because I would go to bed with a huge glass of water every single night because my mouth was parched and dry every single night. It didn't matter if I was camping at a hotel. That's I had to sleep with, with water by my side. So Understanding that something so simple could have such a profound impact on your mood, on your sleep quality, on pain to a certain degree was really interesting to me that, you know, I, I hadn't heard this before, <laughs> Some, something so simple and no one was really talking about it. Even pulmonologists weren't, weren't really talking about the difference between nasal breathing and and mouth breathing. Can, can we talk about your father-in-law just for a second? Of course. Yeah. So James and I have a very interesting connection. So I started out in internal medicine in Spokane, Washington um, in 1979. And Donald's story was my chief at that point. He's a pulmonologist and he happens to be James' father-in-law. And he's an incredibly nice guy. I worked with him also in Spokane through Primera, which is a, an insurance company. And really just a wonderful start to my career was your father-in-law. And he is a pulmonologist. <laughs> he does take the traditional medical view, which is great. He's a superb physician. And uh, so it was very interesting connections. We talked a couple of years ago about, you know, our common bond there. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've known him for eight years and we talk a lot about health and we talk a lot about medicine. I, you know, I don't come from this field. So I come with, with questions mostly, and he comes with very clear answers. And so during the process of writing this book, it was so interesting watching him change his mind about a lot of things. Um, not by what I was saying or my opinions, but by the science and by the studies. And, you know, there's 400, 500 studies that I referenced in this, in this book. And so that's harder to argue with. Uh, it's very easy to argue with me, but, but not, not with, with the science. Right. No, it's, it's, a, it's a great connection. So going back to what's interesting, I'm going to just jump into chronic pain just for a second. So it turns out that mental pain and physical pain are the same thing. And you mentioned change in mood. And it turns out the emotional pain and physical pain are processed in similar circuits in the brain. And the bottom line is when you sense danger, mental or physical, your body goes into threat physiology or fight or flight. And you're agitated. And you may know my work is that I am working hard to take the word anxiety out of the diagnostic coding manual because it's a physiological state. It's not psychological. 
And the physiological state is intended to be unpleasant because it's a survival reaction. And so what happens, it drives all your psychological behaviors, addictions, and different bipolar depression because you can't escape this thing because we can't escape our thoughts. So one way you go from fight or flight into safety, and again, in safety is oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin, anti-inflammatory cytokines, you feel great. So I talk about this a lot. And again, um, you're, as you do breath work, you're actually stimulating the vagus nerve, which is the parasympathetic nervous system, which is highly anti-inflammatory. And again, I'm embarrassed that, you know, I've been, in, I've been in medicine for a long time and I didn't have a clue how breath work could be such a big deal. So I, I do want to go. So breath work actually takes you out of fight or flight into safety. And you will notice a shift in mood. And you will notice a shift in pain because it's anti-inflammatory. Chronic pain is a neurological diagnosis. It's inflammatory. Your brain itself is thrown off inflammatory cytokines. So your brain's on fire. And so the breath work is a very powerful way and obviously simple way of actually changing that. So I want to go back to the, because I will have to say I had not understood this either. I read your book about mouth breathing versus nose breathing because I am a horrendous mouth breather. I even had even, I even inserted UCSF for a septoplasty to try to get my breathing better. It didn't work. And so I'm really curious about how you made this switch because I that really caught my attention because mouth breathing is a huge issue for me. So I think that how breathing affects the autonomic nervous system, stress states, states of feeling safe and relaxed. A lot of people, when they hear this, think this is some new age crystal woo-woo. And so what I would suggest people do is all you need is a pulse oximeter. All you need is a blood pressure monitor. All you need is to feel the reaction that happens in your body by just slowing down your breathing, exhaling longer, even holding your breath for a little bit. This is not a, a quote placebo effect or some, some new age effect. Your heart rate slowing down, your right. blood pressure dropping 10 to 15 points after a few minutes. I've seen drops like that in my blood pressure, easy. Your mood shifting, this feeling of relaxation, you're going to notice, wow, I can actually uh, feel some more warmth in my fingers and my toes. This is, this is not a fake effect. This is your body responding to the most simple biological function. So how you choose to use and control that biological function, of course, it's going to affect how your organs operate, how your brain operates, how your heart operates your lymph system operate. Of, of course it is. And there's so much science to show this. You can see this with EEG studies. You can see this with uh, studies looking at stress responses, at uh, C-reactive protein, I mean, whatever across the board. So I think that's the first thing that people need to understand is this isn't a psychological trick. It's a biological trick. So after that, after you understand that, you can, all you have to do is look at the human body, actually any mammal's body, and look at a cross section of their heads. And you'll notice that the nasal cavities are extremely complex and ornate. So nature does not design stuff randomly. <laughs> There's a reason why over millions of years of evolution, 
we have developed this incredibly ornate organ, all of these structures. It's because the air you take through your nose will be slowed down, it will be heated, it will be moistened, it will be pressurized, it will be filtered. So by the time that air gets to your lungs, you can absorb a lot more oxygen, you can protect your lungs this way. And this isn't to say you can't take some mouth breaths throughout the day. That's completely fine. I'm talking about habitual breathing. If you're breathing 20,000, 25,000 times a day, and you're just exposing your lungs to everything in the environment, your body's going to break down. And we're seeing that all over the place. Right. There's a term now in medicine called medically unexplained symptoms. Have you heard of this term? I have. Yes. The worst term ever design. I mean, if you have a car sitting on the street, the car has no symptoms until you turn it on. So it's either running normally or it's being overheated or it's missing a spark plug, but a, a car not turned on doesn't work. So the body creates symptoms by physiology, by the way it functions. And so if your oxygen levels are too low, of course, you have you start gasping for air, or even as you pointed out in your book, if your CO2 levels go up, you start panicking. And so the basic idea between a sympathetic versus parasympathetic nervous system is a big deal. The sympathetic, service, the sympathetic nervous system activates you. If it stays activated, you're going to wear out. It's like driving your car down the freeway in second gear. It's going to break down. So what you're doing with the breathing, you're directly stimulating the vagus nerve or the 10th cranial nerve, which is powerfully anti-inflammatory. So even the inflammatory proteins in your brain actually switch from excitatory to calming and so your mood does shift so i'm still very curious about the nose breathing versus the mouth breathing because i need to know this <laughs> mm -hmm. i want to i want to so i'm just curious i mean i've been breathing this way for 67 years or 68 years so how do i switch <laughs> so uh it's hard to offer a blanket prescription to everybody because everyone's different. And most people have a slightly different problem in their noses. Some people, it's a use it or lose it problem in which the tissues are just not used to taking in this volume of air. So for those people, all they need to do is to practice nasal breathing. That was my situation. That was the situation of Ann Kearney down at Stanford. She was slated for nasal surgery. She said, hmm, something seems a little wrong here. She looked at 20 different patients who had laryngectomies and found that between a few weeks and a few years, their nose is completely clogged up. So once you stop using your nose, your nose will start all those tissues, those all those erectile tissues will close up. Okay. okay. So you can understand you're like, well, if that's the case, what's going to happen if I start using my nose more? Well, we know what happens. Your nose will open up. This is not true with people with polyps or structural issues who've broken their nose three or four times. So I really try to resist saying, you have to do this, this, and this, and you're going to be fine. Everyone's different. I, I will say, though, and this I'm just echoing what I've heard by experts in the field, the majority of people just need to breathe through their noses more. So the next question is, how do you do that? Well, in the daytime, it's easy. You can become conscious of how you're breathing. And a little trick that I've used before is, and I was told this down, down at Stanford by many other researchers, is I use a little piece of tape, micropore tape. It has this very soft adhesive, so it's supposed to come right off. 
And that's what it does. And I take a, this is ridiculous, but there's nothing more ridiculous than being a mouth breather your whole life, everybody. So you take a teeny piece of tape and you just put it at the center of your mouth like this. And that's the technology. And you can answer emails, do your dishes, start with 20 minutes. Once you get comfortable with that, watch how this comes off. It comes right off. You never, never rip it off. Use your tongue to take it off. So once you get comfortable, uh, and it's going to be terrible for if you're a chronic mouth breather, you're going to feel panicked. You're going to be, oh my God, I can't breathe. Oh, I don't understand these, these feelings right now. Do it for five minutes. Do it for 10 minutes. A few days later, do it for 20 minutes. You see where I'm going with this. And right. soon you won't go out on a walk for an hour. Don't open your mouth. Focus on your breathing. Breathe in a rhythm. Don't open your mouth. It's going to be terrible the first few times. You can carry this over to sleeping, which I have found is by far the most transformative thing that you could do is if you have been a mouth breather during your sleep, like the vast majority of people, you switch to nasal breathing, your sleep quality will go up. You will be, you will tend to snore a lot less and you will tend, some people tend to have less sleep apnea because you have more pressure and that pressure helps push those tissues back calms you down no it's interesting since i read your book i actually have concentrated at night more through my nose i can't and i didn't notice a bit of a difference already so i'm curious after you started doing this i'm assuming it's very habitual for you by now but how long do you think it took for, for it to become a habit for you i've broken my nose a few times never got it fixed i took an x-ray down at stanford and the rhinology chief of rhinology research there looked at my x-ray and started laughing, uh, which is something you don't want your doctor to be doing. Uh, he said, <laughs> he said, you are a perfect candidate for nasal surgery. I said, well, I don't want nasal surgery. And he's like, well, you can do all this stuff, but you'll be back. I said, well, we'll see about that. So I have that everything I mentioned is, is going on here. Mm-hmm. And I walked down the hall to a respiratory therapist and she's like, I'm way worse than you. This is what you need to do. Okay. So it took me I would say in the daytime, a few months. And then it's mostly you just notice when you, it's not the breathing through the nose that you have to pay attention to. It's you'll just notice there's a different feeling in your body, in your mouth, obviously, in your lungs. Your brain starts to register that air is coming in quicker. And that you associate that with with panic, right? And with stress. <laughs> That's why people with with anxiety and asthma tend to have very low CO2 because they're breathing. So it took me a couple months for sleeping. I still have to wear this tape. I do not have the facial structure that allows me to keep my mouth shut. Whenever I put my head down on a pillow, my mouth opens and it's been years. And so I'm stuck with a a roll of tape by, by my bed. But whenever I haven't used it, I have felt so different the next morning and I track my sleep and the data shows that. Did you ever use those strips that open your nose up a little bit? They're fantastic. All of those training wheels uh, are are great. And a lot of people only need them for a few weeks, maybe a okay. few months. They're nasal dilators called okay. mute, mute strips. And they're called mute because people don't tend to snore a lot less when they wear them. Why are okay. they snoring a lot less? Because they're breathing through their nose. Right. And right. Some people have nasal uh, collapse, so nostril collapse here. Uh, you just, there, there's so many problems that modern humans have with breathing, um, especially in the nose that, but these are some things you can do. 
Yeah, I do think I want to list a couple things, and we're going to talk about this more in the second podcast. But the idea with chronic pain in general, especially mental pain, especially anxiety, is just to take your body out of fight or flight into safety. So there's different ways of physiologically stimulating the vagus nerve, like certain pitches of music stimulate the eighth nerve, which stimulate the vagus nerve. You can hum, which stimulates the seventh nerve, again, stimulates the vagus nerve. You can put a wet, cool washcloth on your forehead, which stimulates the fifth cranial nerve. And then the breathing is very powerful. So the breathing techniques that I know, which are probably relatively few compared to what you know, is that slow breathing between six to 10 breaths per minute stimulates the vagus nerve. Um, relatively quick breaths in through your nose and longer breaths out um, stimulate the vagus nerve, especially if you hold it. Um, and then just diaphragmatic breathing stimulates the vagus nerve. Um, and then what nose breathing does also does, it stimulates the release of nitric acid, which is also a um, anti-inflammatory agent. So the bottom line with chronic pain is you want to lower your inflammatory markers. Um, we have like alternate nostril breathing. Um, you can breathe. Um, there's also a rhythmic breathing that you can do. So I guess my question to you is the nose breathing, I think is a big deal. I'm pretty excited about that because I, I see some hope for me actually on this one. Um, I did have the surgery, by the way, which was not a good experience and it didn't work. So I'm very interested about what you said about use it or lose it. I think that's very fascinating to me. Um, any other breath techniques before we um, conclude this part of our podcast? I think I've, I've heard this from so many people who have nasal surgery and uh, it doesn't work. And right. a lot of that is because you aren't given proper breathing habits after that, which is why kids who have adenoid surgery, um, their ADHD and their sleep apnea and their snoring and many of their problems tend to completely go away because they can breathe through their nose. And then what happens a few years later, they're not told to continue to breathe through their nose. So they get all these problems again. Okay. So I, I think like if you get surgery that can help jumpstart this thing, it can help open it up, but you should be given 15 minutes, a half an hour, an hour of training, or at least a booklet to say, we've opened things up, but now the rest is up to you. You need to use your your nose more so that those tissues will remain dilated and won't be closing in. So James, thank you for this background. I'm excited about this personally. So just to uh, remind the group, he's the author of a best-selling book called Breath, the New Science of a Lost Art. Um, anything else, James, that we can offer the audience as far as your website or ways to connect with your resources? Uh, yeah, I was able to publish all of, if some of this sounds impossible, if all of it sounds impossible, you can check out the website. The bibliography is available for free on the website. Uh, okay. All the scientific references, there are interviews with experts in the field, one of whom I'm talking to right now about breathing and how it affects uh, anxiety, um, breathing for infants, so on and so forth. All of this is available. Uh, there's no paywall or anything like that at Mr. James Nestor, Mr. James Nestor dot com okay and quick question i'm just curious you've written a few books what, what, what are some of the other books that you have written i the other book that i've written narrative non-fiction book was called deep freediving renegade science and what the ocean tells us about ourselves which looked at the human connection to the ocean from the very surface to the very bottom of the deepest sea i'm sorry james you cut out just for a second oh, yeah. what was yeah. the name of the book again 
It's called Deep Freediving Renegade Science and What the Ocean Tells Us About Ourselves. And that was my first entree into what breathing could do. I'm, I met freedivers, people who can hold their breath. The world record is 12 minutes and they can dive down to 300, 400 feet on a single breath of air. I said, oh my God, if we can do that with breathing, what else can we do? Right. Well, James, thank you very much. I'm excited about some of the concepts you're presenting and uh, thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. I'd like to thank our guest, James Nestor, for being on the show today and for discussing the physiology of breathing and sharing his personal experience of improved health through better breathing. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.